pray uh, for a few moments again, Family Father, now we thank you as we begin this uh, service. We thank you for your word. Your word is life and your word is powerful. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are talking about uh, God restoring us as the bride. You remember that? God is restoring us as the bride. Why as men I wouldn't be referred to as the bride. It's got nothing to do with the physical. It's only the spirit. Amen. So yesterday uh, afternoon I was uh, just checking stuff on Facebook and I saw uh, Jeremiah Johnson uh, posted something yesterday and when I saw it, he had, it had been there for about 30 minutes. That's what I sent to you on, on the church's uh, group, WhatsApp group. Uh, he, he wrote there, he said, I believe that God is calling out to a remnant bride in this hour who are born from the place of an encounter, ready to emerge out of the systems of religion. God is releasing fresh oil to these lovesick warriors. Even now, for such a time as this. When I read that, I said, I, I am in full agreement. I agree. Say amen. amen. So, uh, we, we, we are glad that the Holy Spirit speaks universally to the church. There is one church. And there is uh, one message for the body of Christ that can get interpreted differently in different contexts. But there is one, when heaven releases a word for the church on earth, it's one way. So God is restoring us to be the bride that we're supposed to be. Amen. In our introduction, uh, last week or the other week, but specifically last week, we did discuss the fact that as the body of Christ, we have been given a commandment. And the Lord Jesus calls it the greatest commandment. It's the greatest commandment we've ever been given. That commandment is a love commandment, or a love commandment. It's a love commandment. At the very root of that commandment is, the, is, is love. Love, it's a stream of love that must flow. Amen. And uh, I want you to understand as we begin family, Amongst uh, Bible scholars, out Bible scholars, amongst Bible scholars, there is agreement, there is consensus uh, that there are 613 commandments in the Bible. They call them mitzvahs in Hebrew. There are 613 commandments in the Bible. The majority of which are found in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Numbers, the psalm in Leviticus, the ceremonial, but the majority of which are found in the book of Numbers and uh, the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible. Now, Aaron, Aaron the high priest, you remember him in the Old Testament, Aaron used to wear this robe, his priestly garment. Now, he had pomegranates, it's a strange word, lovely fruit though. It's pomegranates. So at the at the hem 
of his uh, of his robe he had um, he had these pomegranates and bells alternating with bells at the hem of his of his garment now watch this believe it or not a pomegranate has 613 seeds in it I wanted to see the accuracy of God and His intelligence. The Bible says He's omniscient. Everything is well planned. The specifications are just so mind-blowing. A pomegranate has 613 seeds. One seed for each mitzvah. One seed for each mitzvah. And... Um, of the 613 commandments or mitzvahs in the Bible, 365 of them are said to be negative commandments. In other words, they are commandments, they are meant to remind us of the things we are not to do every day. Things that you and I are not to do every single day, those things we are not to do. So if it's 613, now you minus 365, which are negative, now you're left with 248. 248 mitzvahs in the Bible are positive mitzvahs, positive commandments. Watch. There are 248 bones in a human body. Exactly, 248. Can't cook it. There are 248 bones in a human body. In other words, a human being was meant to be held up by these commandments. Our very frame and structure in life was meant to be upheld by the word of God, by these mitzvahs. Every step that I take, every bone that I move to do whatever, I was meant to be moved to be carried forth, to be upheld and supported as I sit, as I stand, by the mitzvahs of God's word for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Say amen. Amazing the wisdom of God. It's, it's glorious. Now this lawyer comes in the New Testament. He asks Jesus, now of the 613, I don't know if you knew, but it says, of all the commandments that are there, which is the greatest mitzvah? Jesus replies in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. The Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, it's why they call the Torah of the laws, the Torah. So on these, uh, all the Torah hangs upon these. So this becomes the spine upon everything is pinned. Amen. So if Jesus the Lord whom we serve considers this to be the first and the, most, the greatest command, then it is. 
Then it is. So as the body of Christ on earth today, the number one thing that we must be preoccupied with and the number one thing in God's heart is for us to love Him. There are lots of things that we are told to do in the Bible. But the number one and the greatest, we said the word great means megas. It's mega. Mega means huge. Means big. Means gigantic. Means humongous. Means astronomical. Means large. Amen. Means waiting. Overarching. Amen. So when you put this on the scale, this is that commandment. So we have been called to be in a love relationship with the Lord. Colossians 1.13 says, God who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He, he has delivered us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's amazing. In whom we have our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the Son of the Father's love. Amen. So there is nothing that we can do with Jesus that will be bereft or void of love. Everything that has to do with the kingdom, that has to do with church, that has to do with Christianity, is placed on the foundation of love. This is why John 3.16 says, First, for God first so loved the world, to the extent that He saved the world. But that serving, Him giving the world His Son, came out, was birthed, was born, issued out of love. For God so loved the world that, or to the extent that, He gave His only begotten Son. When He speaks to uh, Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Then he says, then feed. Peter, do you love me? Feed, serve my flock. Three times he, he's asking him, do you love me? Do you have a love relationship with me? Peter says, yes. And then Jesus says, on the basis of your love for me, on the basis of the intimate relationship with me. Now I charge you to go and minister. Now I charge you to go and preach. Now I charge you to go and cast out devils. Now I charge you to go and do my works, do my exploits. On the basis of the fact that you love me, he asked him three times our relationship with God is on the basis of our love. That is critical. Yeah. Now stands faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
a passion full of faith and that's to a point where because faith has to do with power when you demonstrate faith you move mountains so to speak and you move things you shift things and you shift things in the lives of the people now when you move in faith without love it becomes a problem because you can end up doing so much yet doing very little for him because with faith and with power comes prestige your your profile and your name is elevated and people begin to be drawn to you this is why the greatest of these is love because as long as you are in a love relationship he can trust you with his power he can trust you with his authority knowing that you will not betray him when the sick get healed when the blind begin to receive their sight you will give all the glory back to him why because you are in a love relationship with him you are moved you are guided you are prepared you are steered by the love relationship a person a preacher a christian who is only moved by a gifting or by the anointing finds it very difficult to hand over the glory to the lord because if i hand over if i tell the people you were sick i laid hands on you and now you are healed you know why you are healed it's because jesus loves you jesus loves you so much that he even moves his muscles for you there's nothing jesus will not do for you if he calls for him to heal your heart your, your artery whatever that's wrong with your kidneys if it takes for him to do that for you to understand how much he loves you he will do it so son and daughter realize that it is jesus who you know when you do that you are you are drawing them to the father you are making them fall in love to restore destinies and to be a vehicle through which this generation falls in love with jesus everything that we do must cause a generation to fall in love not with a personality not with a celebrity preacher but with jesus out of jesus out of jesus our jesus is lord hallelujah how did we get there jesus is the son of the father's love so the only relationship we were meant to have with the savior is what it's a love relationship how do you love relationship it's a love relationship love relationship so again last week we then i gave you a recap which i will not do this morning but i did explain to you that the five customs i'm just going to read them again just for you to remember Well, the five customs that ancient Jews observed before the wedding. I don't know how many of you were writing notes. What's the first one? It's uh, it's the <laughs> Why is the first one family? The first one is arrangement of marriage or the arrangement of marriage. 
done by who by done by the father number two betrothal ceremony remember that betrothal you are now uh, legally engaged number three was preparation period between betrothal and the wedding which we are busy addressing now this morning number four the wedding ceremony that which will take place in heaven that's why there's something called the lord's supper the, the marriage supper right the marriage supper in heaven amen uh, in heaven and then finally the wedding feast the wedding feast often lasted seven days according to the culture there i know that we've been having for seven years but there's a part of it that's amazing amen so we are currently dealing with the pre preparation when while the bridegroom is in heaven what must we be doing in the end so that we make ourselves ready so that when he comes when the when he sends the father of the bridegroom sends someone to blow a shofar that's what they did in ancient jewish cultures they sent this person to blow a shofar to announce that the the bridegroom was on his way amen so before that happens what are we supposed to be doing what are we supposed to be engaged in this morning in jesus name now we said last week three things happened to prepare the bride we only covered one today we're going to cover the other two the first thing that happened was the bride was observed to see if she was pure we dealt with that last week the bride was examined was observed to see if she was pure and it's purity number two and uh, the bride consecrated herself that is what we're going to be addressing this morning and uh, she examined everything in her life and changed whatever was necessary to change in order to be ready for the bridegroom when he arrived amen the third thing that happened was the bride made her own wedding garments we also going to touch on that in just a little bit today uh, she made her own wedding garments so today we are going to talk about the other two which is the bride consecrated herself but let me just remind you with regards to purity remember that when uh, the bride was left uh, that particular custom required that they spent about nine months remember that we, we spoke about that last week they spent uh, nine months the custom required nine months at least to complete the purpose of the custom was twofold number one it was to test the virginity of the bride that maybe when he met her she already had a relationship with someone else in case she was not faithful and honest to the bridegroom the lies will then be exposed that dishonesty will now be revealed because that nine month that duration will then reveal if there's something that happened then virginity test went beyond of course waiting for her to be pregnant they did other things which uh, satisfied their whatever they wanted to know amen 
Now, the second thing, twofold. Number one, to test the virginity of the bride. Number two, to ensure that the bride was not pregnant. Okay, we've done those two things. Now, last week we spoke about, of course, this is physical, in the physical sense. But last week we did address, shortly, yes, let me just cover that about one minute. We did address the fact that you have a womb, whether a male or female, in the spirit. You are able to contain uh, something in the spirit. This is why the word is called the seed. The seed, the seed, the word is seed. It's spermata in Greek. It's sown in your spirit. When it, when it's sown in your spirit, it must give better an offspring that looks after the father. Amen. This is why my whatever I give birth to must mimic or resemble the Father, the Lord. Everything that comes out of my, the fruit that comes out of my life. Because in the book of Genesis, the principle behind the seed, the seed must give birth after its own kind. The seed must produce after its own kind. Such that an apple seed cannot give you an orange. An orange seed cannot give you an onion. A seed must produce after its own kind. What's the evidence that uh, you are pregnant with something? It's because your, your fruit, fruit that comes out of your life, looks like the seed that's been planted in you. What's evidence that you are a Christian? That's why he told them, so don't worry about all the stuff. He said, you shall know them by their fruits. You shall know them by the spiritual offspring they give forth. You shall know them by what they produce. When you see that, that's when you know who they are. Because that bears testament to what they have swallowed. Whatever they have eaten, whatever they have been growing in them, will be given back to. Whether they like it or not, it's, the, it's just a principle of nature, to love nature. The seed in you, whatever that's in your womb, will reveal itself with or without your permission. In the spirit. So when you begin to speak, when you look, we look at your walk, we know that the seed that's in you is of a particular type. So he tells them you shall know them by their fruit. And so last week we said, let us be careful that while we wait for the bridegroom, we don't allow another to plant a seed, a wicked seed in us. We spoke about the fact that when there is seed planted in us, there are pregnancy symptoms that begin to show. There's nausea that begins to show. I, everything, everything good, everything that's solid, that's, that's, that's good doctrine, it becomes nauseous to me. I wanna, you, you, you wanna, you want, you want, you want to throw up, you throw up, you throw up. It's another pregnancy symptom, you throw up. I, nothing that is healthy, that's divine, from heaven can sit in my spirit. As soon as it sits, something in there wants to abort it. You don't want to throw it out. It cannot sit. There is a lot of other pregnancy symptoms in the spirit that we can speak of. The but last week we said we must ensure that the only thing that reigns in us is that which looks like him. 
No one else is allowed to plant seed. Seed of bitterness, root of bitterness and unforgiveness, adultery and fornication, and every foul thing must not find its way into my soul, into my being. Say amen. Say hallelujah. In Jesus' name. All right, that was last week. Now, the second thing, I'll just second. The second thing was the bride consecrated herself. How to consecrate? One of the problems we've always had with Amangama is we leave them in the realm of, I don't know, it's just the spiritual way. I have no idea what it means. To the point where you ask somebody, um, when? Because we have no understanding of words. So I know that you know the word consecrate. So let us just for a few moments because this is important because this is what the bride was expected to do while waiting for the bridegroom to return. And the bride consecrated herself. I know that you know that the word means to set yourself apart. Amen. Even in the tabernacle of Moses, there were even physical items. Why? It's an inanimate, it's an object. Because those things had been set apart for God's use, they were called holy and consecrated. If you set apart, you set yourself apart for the bridegroom, you are deemed consecrated, holy, or sanctified. That's what the word means. So the bride examined everything in her life. She examined everything in her life and changed whatever was necessary to change. The bride was set apart from other relationships. Listen carefully, family. Now, because we need to understand how these things work. If this is taught by somebody who, who doesn't understand how to balance scripture, you may leave the service thinking that you can never have a social engagement. You have no life. You have no social life whatsoever. Now, that's about the Bible. Doing spiritual things. Amen. But I understand this. So the bride examined everything in her life and changed whatever was necessary. The bride was set apart from other relationships, right? So remember that apart, you know, you were once a part of that, a part of it. Now when you are set apart, you are moved away. You are no longer a part of, amen. Uh, once a part of, but now no longer a part of. Now, what did he mean by that? Just flow with me, family. Because we, 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 we're building. It's beautiful to build. To care. Kingdom Embassy House will have amazing people who are so sober and so deep in the word and in the things of God. So what did that mean? 
It meant that her relationship, the bride's relationship with the bridegroom dictated other relationships she entered into. Amen. Let me repeat that. Her relationship with the bridegroom dictated other relationships she was perhaps pondering on entering into. It meant that she wouldn't be in a relationship, for instance, with the bridegroom's enemies. She, she couldn't be in a relationship with those who were considered enemies of the bridegroom. As much as the bridegroom was not there physically, but the people, the enemies, would still be there, they would seek to establish a relationship with her to compromise him, his integrity, and what he is. So while he was gone, the enemies of the bridegroom would come as foxes to come and surround her to see if they can strike a deal. Because they know if they can strike a deal with her, and they have some form of relationship with her. It won't compromise. The marriage is already compromised. Before they even get to live together, they are finished. It meant that her relationships would not compromise who? The bridegroom, not a bridegroom. It meant that she brought the bridegroom into every relationship. So if she decided to enter into a relationship, the bridegroom would have to be part of that in one way or the other. The bridegroom, even in his absence, in other words, she would first think about, would he approve of me being part of this deal? Would he approve of me being part of this connection? If I plug myself to these people, if, if I plug myself to this relationship and he finds out, would, would he celebrate this connection or would he decry it? So every relationship she entered into was dictated to by what he approved and what he disapproves. This is why we must be very careful in, with regards to what we do when we are on end. We are not our own, the Bible says. We are not asisibo abeto. Asisibo abeto. Asisibo abeto. We must stand here and get on the call. Stand where he paid a dowry, his own blood. He shed his blood for us. Hallelujah. So she set herself apart for him. Remember, he's not there yet. We're still waiting. One day, when the trumpet shall sound, the twinkling of an eye, archangel. Sound the trumpet and God, that which is uh, corruptible, so we mean corruptible. The twinkling of an eye. Still waiting for that to happen. 
while we wait, while as we wait for him, we don't slumber, we don't sleep, but we engage ourselves, we make ourselves ready for him, so that when he comes, he finds us to have prepared ourselves for him. So the bride family defined herself, she defined herself outside of what was popular in the culture. She defined herself outside of what was popular and defined herself within whatever impressed the bridegroom. Let me repeat that. From the time of uh, engagement of Petrota, from that moment onwards, she began to define herself outside of what, in other words, it didn't matter what was popular out there. If he didn't approve of it, whichever village he had gone to, if she knows that he wouldn't approve of it, so she wouldn't define herself based on that. Amen. In other words, we find our identity in Christ. We find our identity in Him. Consequential family also has to do with judging ourselves. While he is gone, I look at myself. Am I carrying too much weight? Is there something in the spirit that I need to share? Is there excess fat in the spirit? Things I've been carrying. There's something I need to drop. I'm carrying these weights. Have I developed so much weight? By the time I put that wedding garment together, will it fit? So, Consecration also has to do with what? Judging ourselves. We judge ourselves. It's about judging ourselves against the word. We judge ourselves against what? Against the word of God. Consecration is also about jumping ship. What's jumping ship? Now that I've engaged, I was on, on board this ship. Then I realized that no, he is over there. I'm on the wrong boat. I'm on the wrong boat. When I realized that the boat of religion and friendships I'm in, he is not there. I, I must jump boat, jump ship. Amen. Consecration is also about floor crossing. It's moving from one place to the it's consecration. There's a lot of decision making in consecration. Consecration is not just going on your knees and praying about it, but I consecrate myself. Consecration are deliberate decisions, intentionalities on every single day. Things I choose to do and things I choose not to do. As I choose not to do certain things, I am setting myself apart. As I choose to do other things, I am setting myself apart. It's active. Consecration is active. Engagement in the process. Say hallelujah. Consecration, it, it is leaving the company that doesn't believe in your bridegroom's opinion. Even his taste, Mom G, his style. 
You know, Jesus has got his own style. Jesus has got his own taste, has got his own class and panache. Jesus has got his own groove and swag. If the world in which we live, if this generation does not believe in the style that Jesus carries in his swag, in his panache, in his taste, in his class, then I have no interest in mingling with it. Say amen. Because Jesus swags differently. And that's what captured our hearts. Jesus loves the unlovable. He hugs the unhuggable. He calls the scum of the earth. He calls them and he calls them, you are the apple of my eye. He says, you are my beloved. He says, before you were created, you were born, placed in your mother's womb. I knew you and I called you a prophet. Jesus, he swags differently because the Bible says he died for us while we were yet sinners. There is no one else who swags that way. Only the king of glory, only the king of kings moves that way. Only Elohim, only Al Shaddai, Adonai, the creator of the heavens and the earth moves that way. Hallelujah. Say amen. Say amen. Say hallelujah. In Jesus' name. You know, I, 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 I have a daughter and I told her, Nandi, I'm, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell the church. <laughs> you know, when, um, when I do something and she says, Oh no, it's not done. Dad, it's not done. It's not done. Whatever it is, it's not done. Where's she? It's not done. It's not done by who? It's not done. Come to that. It's not done. You don't trust like that, you know? It's not done. I understand that. We, you know, we, we have our thing going. But if they don't do it, by your proof of it, I will do it. Amen. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the people set apart for Him. We have been set apart for the bridegroom. Whichever way he wants us to move, to move, we move. We don't go according to public polls, but according to the voting structure, whatever they approve, we don't care. If Jesus says it's right, yes, sir. Because I define myself within your will. I don't define myself within what they want. I define myself outside of the status quo. So, I understand that another thing that happened with the bride, when the bride went out, when she left her place, she wore a veil. She wore a veil. Oh, she wore a veil. She wore a veil so that others would not know, uh, would know, would know, others would know that she had been betrothed. She wore a veil so that that would be obvious to whoever was looking at her. They would know that she was betrothed and promised to another. She had to put her veil on. Can you imagine 
Bazalwane, a bride so ashamed for the world to know that she is betrothed. When she goes into public, she hides who she really is. She hides her status. Because she is ashamed. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's why Jesus says, those who are ashamed of me in front of the world, I will be ashamed of them in front of my Father in heaven. Because the bride is, whenever we step out, we're supposed to put on the veil. Or to put on the veil. Put on the veil. Our veil is not physical. Our veil is not a piece of fabric. Our veil is not material. But we do have a, What is your veil? What is your veil? What is your veil? Do we wear it in public? That's the one. We are supposed to step out as soon as we mingle. There must be something about you that gives you away. There must be something about you that says she, he is different from the rest. There must be something in their case, in that ancient culture, her veil gave her away. Everyone knew that she had been betrothed. So whoever had intentions, they backed off. Why? Because she had made it obvious it was her responsibility. She did not leave it for people to guess whether she was saved or not saved. She made it her responsibility. There was intentionality about it. When I step out, I'm going to put on my veil so that I don't leave it to them to guess, to just you know, stumble over my being saved. They shouldn't be stumbling over oh, the sincere. We didn't know, no. There must be a veil that is visible. There must be something about us when we step out into society that says this one has been betrothed. At the party family, do we keep our veil on? Do we keep our veil on at, at that party? When, when the music is, is, is pumping, when it's happening, because your, your, your friends, you know, they, they just kind of invited you and they know that you don't drink and they told you, no, uh, don't worry, we know who you are. But because we are so close and you know us from the time we were growing up, please come and be part of this. And things begin to turn. In that, uh, in that in that party, things begin to spin such that you begin to feel the music in your very marrow vibrating. Then unconsciously, your, your, your foot begins to tear.
there are jokes they don't make in my presence. Then they told me that no, you have to because you, you make our discussion boring. <laughs> I don't talk about anything. I just stand and talk. No, we want to talk about stuff. Shoot, That is what's supposed to happen. You must make them feel uncomfortable without ruining their whatever. It's not my, my part. If a sinner will save until they get saved. But mine is to ensure that in my presence, I become the influence, the influencer, not the influenced. So when we when 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 we are at work family, do we keep our veil on? That's the question this morning. When we are at school, do we keep our veil on? When you look your best, you know those days when you look your best, sometimes I'm not done. You know, and all the gentlemen, we don't look our best. Do, do, do we still keep our veil on? When you walk in, do you still keep your veil on? Because that's where it is. That's where it's at. When we are with our friends, do you put your veil on as a reminder? Because that's what she did. But why we can always preach about these things? But if we do not live it, if we don't walk it out, this will remain in the realm of a sermon. It will never produce anything real in your life. What we are supposed to do is to ensure that the veil is ever present. What is the veil? The veil is that ever, ever present consciousness of who you are. That ever present consciousness of who you are, the things that you do deliberately that don't distinguish you from the rest. You don't laugh at every joke. You know, you cannot afford to laugh, laugh at every joke that's out there. Because some of the jokes like that are evil. They, they are body shaming pictures. I cannot share that on Facebook. A woman has got some issue with her hair or with the skin and they make a parallel between him and somebody else. I cannot be found to be doing that. I must draw a line. I must put my veil on. I look at the world through a certain prism and perspective. Say hallelujah. Even my people in the pastoral circle, that thing that they should, they said to me, look, it stops here. It doesn't go beyond because even our understanding is different. Say she kept her veil on. She kept her veil on. Now the main feature, it's 11. Just give me 10 minutes, family. Mom Jesus, keep going. Right? Keep going. The main feature in consecration. Now remember I did with consecration. She consecrated herself. She set herself apart. The main feature in consecration for the bride is what we call holiness. Or the holiness. There's another strange word in the church. Holiness. It's a, it's a mysterious word. We don't know what the word means. The word seems impossible. It just seems, it's, it's like top shelf. I can not get to that. But when you look at the word, the word, the way the word is defined and described in the Bible, essentially family, the word holiness means uncommon. How is it uncommon? 
godliness, think of the word uncommon. Uncommon. Uh, I, I know that I've discussed that before, but let's just revisit that just for a few a minute or two. All that Jesus wants and is asking of every child of God while he is away is for us to be uncommon. To be uncommon. The word common. You know, you know that everything is common. Common means, means not different. It means ordinary. The word common means general. It means done or owned by everyone. What is done by everybody? That's common. Now, we have been called into an uncommon life. See, they, they, they love it when we, are, when we flow with them. We conform. We are common. We're called commoners in scripture. The word rewards. It rewards that. The word will reward uniformity. When you are like it, it will reward you. When you choose not to be like it, it will persecute you. That's the nature of it and you must understand that. So that the pressure of conforming to the world becomes too much for the saints. Because the world will award and reward you for being like it. The word appreciated when you comply. It's compliance. If you are very much like them, they assign words to you, uh, Zanem, and our young people. They, they will say, you, you cool. They will say, you are, you are woke. What else, Kwanza? Say, you are dope. You dope. Well, when they say that as you walk, you feel something. You feel an unclear. When they say you are dumb, you are lit, you are legit, you feel a spring on your heels. That's what they want to they want to endorse. You're being out of order and out of harmony with heaven. They want to endorse. What is not in order as far as God is concerned? When you walk according to the prescripts, of scripture, you are demonized, you are demonized, you are present, you are called names by the system to pressure you until you break, until you bend. You will hear a young person says, but everybody is doing it. I am the only one not doing it. And exert so much pressure when your child is in a secular school and you're teaching at home, divides with some poor, not poor, cheese and chocolate. To them, it is being given in school, and their friends bring this, you know, they just they, they speak anyhow. They introduce them to this, they talk to them about this, like this, this, this celebrities, and your child has no idea. My children, the oldest of whom is 16, he will talk to me about that. When was it 69? Maybe over the last uh, year. That's only they found out who Castanavis was. 
Tell you why. You know that the people, if they were a gateway, young people their age would run to sign the autograph. They wouldn't run because, especially he would say, but why must I go there? They no, he says, that's so and so. Who is he? Oh, how is he going to help me? What's that about? I, I tell you, I tell you how that's possible. You see, the media brings the world to us. Because you don't go to Joburg to find out who a celebrity is. So what you consume, what we expose our young people to, determines who they know and who they connect with. Now, I'm not saying you must do that because some of the things, because just like personally, okay, personally, okay, we don't watch soapies at home for, for 16 years. Ever since I got married, 18 years, I don't want to Uzzah, I don't know who, who is Uzzah, I know there's a concern. I don't know who's there. I don't know who's in generations. We don't watch SABC one. We don't they don't watch because we don't watch. We don't watch Channel O and all these shows where you find these naked people with water flowing down their skin. And then it arouses something in them which was never the little Bible. Young person, do not announce love before it's time. So there are things that you will never know if 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 I if I drive a car and I listen to SIFM, which I do every day, it's a talk show. I'm a talk show person. I, I listen to news radio. That's all. There are things that you will never know. You will never know what you are. You don't even care. There will be a vibe everywhere. You have no idea. I don't listen to calls because our 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 steering wheel don't let me switch on. It's in the cabinet. It's there. It does not play. Levi comes and he puts three or two. He does that. Then I say, Levi, can I watch the news? That time the boys are not even watching TV from Monday to Friday. They're not allowed to. Their phones are in our room. So we never prepare that without them having known what's popular. They don't even care. Are you with me, family? We will have to try and raise our children in a different way. Why? Because the world is corrupt. So the world and the world is evil. So Nandi would say that, Dad, it's not done. But if Jesus approves of it, herself and myself will get it done. Say amen. Let's just wrap it up, family, because of time. Amen. So I want her, I, I, I ask for her permission. And I asked for their permission before I stood here. I said, okay, guys, I'm going to talk about this. Give me the names. Uh, all I know is that something is cool. That's, that's as far as I go, I go. So they gave me all these other words. Well, they said, Dad, uh, uh, it's called. And I, I can I hear them at home. Dad said, we say it's dope. I said, all right. I wrote it down. I know woke. It's for adults. But Nandi, and I, I spoke to her. I said, Mama. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mention something in the pulpit. Amen. And uh, then says, Oh my no, it's not that. Imagine that. Somebody said that. Oh my no, what kind of image is that? Oh my no, it's not done. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what happens, you see. So, family, we must be very intentional. Is when they get this, this is C's, they will find an chase. It's not their job. We will have to move 
with speed in Jesus name so as we as we wrap this up family I want you to know this lying is common selfishness is common gossip is common disrespect is common fornication is common adultery is common and so forth he has called us to be uncommon that's what holy means forgiving is uncommon kindness is uncommon true love is uncommon self-control is uncommon patience is uncommon and every other fruit of the spirit that is spoken of in Galatians 5:22 his bride must consecrate herself be holy be uncommon why because she wanted to make sure that when he returned he will find her in a better condition than when this is can family stand up as i finish i will see you standing and i will not need to wrap up the third thing she had to do before i close was set number one purity number two consecration the third thing i'm going to just do this very quickly the bride made her own wedding garments she made her own wedding garments i want to tell you about zerwane namhlanje as we are about to go home you will not spend eternity with jesus without a wedding garment on and he has given it to us as our responsibility that while he is away we get ready we get active to make and sew our own wedding garment the bible says but when the king came in in to behold the guests he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment and he said to him friend how come you do not have a wedding garment and he was speechless then the king said to the servants bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness there shall be weeping and the gnashing of teeth the man did not make his own wedding garment while he was still alive the lord jesus once asked us lord every act of obedience on earth you 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 are sorry every act of obedience to the word of god some people started sewing their wedding garments years ago and their wedding garments are now left incomplete the bible says we must be in the habit of doing good this is why the bible says let us rejoice and be exceeding glad and let us give the glory unto him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready and it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints say amen father help us this morning help us oh god help us jesus let us work on our garments family on a daily basis let us work on our garments focus 
on your garments on a daily basis i will focus on mine you focus on yours i will focus on mine so that when i arrive the one who was preaching and teaching must not be found to be without this is why the apostle paul said work out your salvation work out work it out work out your salvation with fear and trembling it is my responsibility to work it out every single day of our lives we are closing bazarwan revelation it says blessed are the dead who die in the lord from this time onwards yes says the spirit that they may rest from their labors for their works follow them their works follow them their works follow them what kind of a wedding garment is following you what kind of a wedding garment have i been sewing lift up your hands pastor one thank you holy spirit father we thank you this morning in jesus name Oh Lord God help us I pray in Jesus name. Help us oh Father. Help us. Help us as your people help, help us as the bride to make ourselves ready. Help us Father to make ourselves ready. Help each and every young person in this place. Every man and every woman. Those who are watching and who are connected via Zoom. Help us father. For the Bible says the wedding gown are our righteous acts. It's our love, it's our kindness, it's our goodness, it's our faithfulness, it's our gentleness, it's our self-control. It's when we have that granny, it's when we have that grandpa, when we reach out to that orphan, when we adopt that family that's poor. We are sewing a garment. Family, he is coming. He is coming. He is coming. Let the bride be ready. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And the church said, "Amen." Say hallelujah.